If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? Teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart, the psalmist writes. But we are counting our days, Holy One. We just aren't doing it in the same spirit as the psalmist. We're counting the days until none of the kids are in diapers. We're counting the days until things feel like the before times. We're counting the days until we don't ever have to speak to that coworker again. We are honest enough to admit that this doesn't seem to be working for us. We are anxious. We are cranky. We are slogging through our days. Yes, yes, we know if we always do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always got. So even though we are reluctant to join the psalmist's prayer, we will. Teach us, Holy One, to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. Teach us to count our seemingly endless chores as opportunities for prayer and meditation. Teach us to count every change in routine as an occasion to discover a better way, a more loving way, a more gracious way. Teach us to count every conversation as a chance to practice seeing your image in someone else. But also, we wouldn't hate it if you would send someone else to potty train the kids. With open minds and hopeful hearts, we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. 
The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. I know that all of you were listening very, very closely to the welcome and announcements at the beginning of the service. So I know that you heard me say that this sermon series is about untold and often overlooked stories in the Bible. But now that you've heard the scripture, you may be wondering if I am confused. After all, everyone knows the story of creation. It is arguably the most well-known story of the Hebrew Bible. It's like the John 3.16 of the Hebrew scriptures. Everybody knows in the beginning. And in this congregation, where you can't throw a stick without hitting someone reading a book by Marcus Borg or Dominic Crossan, most of you also know that there is not one, but two creation stories. You might also know that scholars are fairly certain that they were written by different authors, addressing different situations in the lives of their people in different contexts. The book of Genesis is concerned with explaining why things are the way they are, mapping our relationships, the how, the why, the when, and through what means things came to be. The creation stories, along with other famous stories in Genesis like Noah and the Great Flood, have long been considered by scholars as mythological classifying them as primordial history, not this is how it actually happened. We know this because the types of storytelling used in Genesis are reflective of common symbols and myths used in various cultures and time periods. For instance, the symbols of water birthing new communities and tales of a great flood these stories were told in different ways by almost every people group that existed in history. The two creation stories are helpful examples of how authors of biblical stories had their own agendas. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. These storytellers are responding to the needs of the people. While the creation story in Genesis 1 is first in canonical order, it was actually written second in time and depicts creation as God's bringing order out of chaos 
which would have been immensely comforting to the Israelites who were living through the Babylonian exile at the time. In that story, human beings come at the end of the created order. They are created last. They are the crown of creation. In the second creation story, which we read an excerpt from today, it's, it's the same but different, for the story needed to meet different needs in the life of the community at the time. This story came from the earlier time of the Davidic dynasty and appeared when Israel was a sovereign state. The man who in the story is created first is thus in charge and responsible for the care of creation, a not so subtle nod to the king. Both creation stories were included in the canon because each retelling holds its own wisdom and comfort for the original audience and for us too. But even without knowing the details of who wrote what, when, and why, folks are generally familiar with the basic premise of both stories. This is how we got here. So why would we treat this text as untold or overlooked? Well, for generations, people have abused the creation stories in Genesis, using them to assert power of men over women, of straight couples over queer couples, and most recently, of asserting that there are only two ways to have a body or gender. These interpretations are not untold, instead they are oft told. But these are not the only interpretations, of course. For instance, biblical scholar Phyllis Tribble reminds us that the woman being created last is not necessarily indicative of a subservient position to men, since, as you remember, the couple in the creation story of Genesis 1 was created last as the crown of creation. Ergo, it is reasonable in the creation story of Genesis 2 to identify the woman as the crowning achievement of God because she is created last. There's also that most tenderly held line of Jesus that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, that it would do some good for folks to remember. As for other interpretations, rabbinic tradition has long recognized more than two genders, or at least more than two ways of having gendered bodies. The Hebrew word translated Adam is Adam, meaning earth creature or earthling, which theologian Michael Carden says invites the reader to understand that first human as pre or beyond or before gender. Intersex and non-binary folk can find themselves in the original earthling that existed before the separation. These are whole sermons unto themselves, and important ones, because choices of translation and interpretation can come with devastating consequences. 
when they do not fully represent the actual text. There are likely some listening to this sermon today who have never heard non-patriarchal, queer-affirming interpretations of these texts. And this is reason enough to treat the creation stories as untold and overlooked stories in the Bible. But this creation story is an untold and overlooked story for other reasons, because it has been almost exclusively used to establish power hierarchies, we have had to spend equal amounts of time preaching against and undoing those harmful interpretations, leaving little time to look for more truth with a capital T in our sacred stories. One of the things that sets this second creation story apart is what is missing compared to that first creation story. In that first creation story, after each creation, God declared it good. And you know those lines. God called the dry land earth and the waters God called seas. And God saw that it was good. The, God saw that it was good. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind and trees of every kind and God saw that it was good. God made the wild animals and cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind, and God saw that it was good. But in the second creation story, we find instead a not good, not good, at this point, God has formed the earthling out of the dust, breathed the breath of life into the earthling, and set the earthling into the Garden of Eden to till and to keep it. But then God realizes that this is not enough. In verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the human should be alone. Isolation and lack of connection are explicitly named as not good. Interestingly, not even God's self is enough. So God forms every animal of the field and every bird of the air and lets the earthling name them all, kind of like speed dating. But still, it's not quite right. God recognizes that there still existed no helper as a partner. Note that the word translated helper, azar, is used to describe creatures, humans, and God's own self throughout scripture. And I know I said that this wasn't going to be a sermon that focused on repudiating sexist interpretations, but this is important for establishing the exact nature of why it was not good that the human should be alone. The term azer is used to describe relationships that are mutually beneficial. Phyllis Tribble reminds us that the term in this particular text connotes equality, the specific kind of helper that is a necessary counterpart, one who fits the needs that the first cannot handle alone. Notice that God doesn't say, it's not good for the human to have no sexual partner. 
God does not say it is not good for the human to have no one to serve them. No, God says it is not good for the human to be alone. God does not say anything that corresponds with attempts to make the formation of the second human into a rule of sexism or heterosexism or transphobia. It is about one thing, which is that no human should be left to survive alone. The problem here, the not good, is not what has been created so far, that was fine, but the problem, the not good, was what was lacking, what had yet to be created, which is relationships. The wholeness of the individual human and all of creation depended on this lack being rectified. The world was incomplete without relationships between humans. The emphasis is on relationship in general and mutual dependence in the work of co-creating along with God. We see this dynamic of partnerships in the work of faithful humans repeated throughout scripture. Jacob and Leah, David and Jonathan, Jesus and the 12 disciples and women like Mary and Martha. In each case, says theologian Nancy DeClassy Walford, we find humankind living together, complementing on one another, standing in front, standing behind, trading strength for strength, humanity in community. The power of this story is in our need for one another. And did you hear Adam's response to this partnership? Honestly, despite reading this passage, who knows how many times I'm willing to bet that most of us have really never paid attention. We've been busy trying to keep the story from being used to oppress or divide us. But Adam's response is everything. This, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Note that Adam does not say, at last, someone to make sure my suits get taken to the dry cleaners. Adam does not say, at last, someone to make me a sandwich. Adam does not say, at last, someone to make me feel like a man. No. Adam says, this, at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You can, you can almost hear the sigh of relief. This, at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, Adam does not hesitate in welcoming this new human. Adam does not act superior for being made first. Adam is just glad you and I, we belong together, Adam says. 
We have spent so much time using this story to divide and differentiate. We've missed what a remarkable story this is about human connection, human relationship, one human seeing another human, someone else who is made of the same stuff, and finally feeling seen themselves, finally feeling like they belong. How different this world would be if we saw strangers and friends the way Adam saw Eve as someone else who is made of the same stuff. For us, it will be people who have made different decisions, who don't share our beliefs, who practice traditions unfamiliar to us, who don't look like us, talk like us, or behave like us, but still, we are made from the same stuff. What if we started conversations from the position of, at last, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Our story tells us, you and I, we belong together. May we never forget it. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.